One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's the Darnwell fellas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks like somebody's on location. Where are you at? Describe it for us. I'm in Dundee. I'm in a Dundee travel lodge. Although the travel lodge looks like a, a well, one of the one of our guys said Beirut, but a familiar paradise to us. <laughs> but this is a, a different setup for the room. Well, I'll give you a little tour. Aye, that'd be good. I talk us through it. So there's the window, but there's the bed. Uh, it's like a different shape. Oh shit, so it is. They put the door next to the bed. I was in one last night in Inverness and it was it was home sweet home. Business as usual. Business as usual and then it, I've gone to this one today and it's threw me off. Got all the makings of a classic lodge room just in a, a slightly different format. Well, maybe need to upgrade to the Premier Inns, but especially the way this podcast is going, we'll probably be able to afford a few of them. True. The Hiltons. Doubletree. Doubletree by Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the lodge, eh? Feeling good, feeling good about it. Aye. Love being in the travel lodge. It, although it's a, uh, it's different with this job. But unlike the band, it's like I'm actually getting paid, and I've got a room to myself. It must feel very strange. It's good that you get a room to yourself, but I would like to be sharing with you boys again. The companionship. I'm glad that the the company that I'm working for is the like stuck the four years in the one room. That would it'd be that would be absolutely awful, especially especially as I need to talk to Katie Tunstall in there. <laughs> 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 can, can you just keep it down and try to talk to Katie <laughs> uh, I know even see like the so we finished the job in Inverness today at like half four and then he was going right we should hopefully be in, in Dundee for eight or whatever and I go oh that suits me actually I'm I'm talking to Katie Dunstall at eight <laughs> and they're all looking at me like what are you talking about and I was like oh, I, do a, I do a podcast with the band and all that so I've been I didn't want to say that to them at first. I didn't want to be like, can we move rapid to Inverness to Dundee so that I can talk to Katie? I didn't want to say it at first because it just makes it surreal and awkward. But then I, I've ended up making it surreal and awkward and then like they went out to get something to eat there. And I was just uh, I was just getting a coffee and a fag outside and they came back and they go, we're fucking rushing a bit for you so you can talk to this Katie Dunstall. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was going, I know, but it's it start at eight o'clock because she's dialing in for America. And I so I've been get, getting it tight all day. I got a cracker of the day. Here's why hard hats are so important. I don't know if you can see it in my nose. Oh shit! You've got a dent in your nose. I so uh, pulling so these big fridges come in like big plastic bags. You need to rip them off. So I was pulling the bag off, and I pulled an electrical box off. Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing the weight, but say it's maybe like about 20 kilograms. Uh-huh. So it's it's filthy. I don't know, eight feet or something like that. And it's my hard hat's got a big fucking dent in it, and it and it scud at my nose. And it, I thought it was like maybe broke. It's no definitely not broke, but it was a very very close one. So I've got a dent, and it feels like I need to sneeze all day. But I don't think it's broke because I can still touch it. But there's a a bruise happening, but if, if, if I wasn't wearing that, the hard helmet's been like cracked, I could have been dead. You need to get onto those, uh, have you been injured in the workplace? <laughs> Injury lawyers for you. <laughs> there was another another bit of the day where I was standing on the back of the big lorry, and onto the loading bay, but right in between I didn't realise the lorry was moving. One of the guys sort of like grabbed me and just just caught me or I would have had another saurian, but then I was thinking about the phrase, eh, find what you love and let it kill you. <laughs> uh, tell me this Was there not some sort of story recently Involving you and some fisticuffs My man uh, I did try You tried to get fisty Well I don't know I was I was kind of thinking about it You going to lay hands on someone <laughs> The real me shone through The pacifist Aye So what happened how did, it, how did it all pop off Can you tell the cast Well I wrote it all down Should you like to hear it uh, Well I think it's the perfect opportunity To jump in here I suppose mm-hmm. Hit that bell boy Thursday the 8th of April. Everything got put in hod just about the day. A very strange turn of events that's led me to feel an anger like I've very rarely experienced. I was all set for another dose of geography today, but some folk decided to play funny buggers with me. It started about 10am. I was sat on my couch finishing off some journal entries for the past few days. I was feeling dead happy and at one with the universe. ET came through and told me to check my Facebook messages. There's one fair lassie that I'll no mention her name because I'm not no at the bottom of it yet. Still time for her to get named and shamed though. I'll see how it pans out. The message is on one big long paragraph with no full stops or anything, much like my own journal entries. This woman has told me that a month ago, E.T. answered the door to get a delivery for the ice cream shop King Cone. A sundae and a big bag of rhubarb and custards. I can mind it. She says that E.T. when getting her stuff has opened the door to this person's boyfriend and deliberately undone her dressing gown and showed him the full works. Oh dear. No even attempting to cover herself up. The delivery driver for some reason has kept this a secret and then told her a month later. (laughs) The girl says in the message that E.T. is a disgrace and she clearly has no respect for herself or me. She's also messaged E.T. some horrible stuff. We're both on the couch laughing at first. E.T.'s a bit nervous because she's worried, I thought, that it might be true. Never in a million years would I believe that, I explained. First of all, she doesn't own a dressing gown. And she suffers this condition called body dysmorphia, which means she's incredibly self-conscious about her body shape. She gets paranoid if the blinds are open and she's getting changed, so it's clear to me that there's no chance they are flashing this ugly rhubarb and custard deliverer. 
I tell ET not to worry about it. That was that for the meantime. I sent a wee reply to the woman saying she must have the wrong person or there's been some sort of mistake. Off I went for my daily dance and I ran about the old Ravenscraig site, getting lost and listening to Simon and Garfunkel. I was in a great mood, in the rain, singing away whilst jogging round this industrial wasteland. When I got home, E.T., against my advice, has circulated the accusations to her pals. A sense of hysteria has been orchestrated, and one of her confidants, who's a nurse, has told her to phone her union. Just in case it somehow gets back to the NHS, at least she can give her version of events, which is that she got a Sunday and rhubarb and custard delivered one night. <laughs> she went away for a wee nap in a kind of agitated state, and I sat back down on the couch. It's about 3pm at this point, and I started to look at this woman's Facebook profile again. Over the course of the next hour, I began to feel a terrific rage inside me. I binged the number for King Cone, <laughs> and it's opened at half past four. Next thing I knew, I was marching down there, ready to find the guy at blame. He looked like a total nugget for her pictures, so I had a rough idea of who to look for. Also had his first name by this point. Hilariously, I had Rage Against the Machine on to get me amped up for the show down a lifetime. <laughs> I, was honest, I was honestly swaggering down, believing I was a hard man, someone not to be messed with. When I got outside this ice cream parlour, I ended up just walking right past it as I shat myself completely. <laughs> uh. I never told E.T. any of this, as I would just look like a big fairy cat, which was true. I got home and I mailed the girl asking for a boyfriend's number. She claims that he doesn't have a phone, which for a delivery driver just isn't plausible. <laughs> she also says that he's unaware that she's messaged me or ET, which makes things even stranger. I let it be for a bit, and I was getting set up for the podcast. Tonight we had Ross Layton on for the Kilmarnock band Fatherson. We've been pals in the Scottish music scene for about 10 years, and it was great talking to him. He had some good stories all about all the eclectic bands he supported for Enter Shikari to Lewis Capaldi at Wembley. When the cast ceased, I felt furious once more. <laughs> E.T. was away to bed, and I was right back down to fucking King Cone with Rage Against the Machine blaring, ready to party. It was actually this lovely sweet wee lassie that answered the door, which caught me off guard. I inquired about the guy, and she said... He didn't work there anymore and she reckoned he was living for this other takeaway around the corner. I phoned him up and asked if, insert name, was delivering there and I was given a green light. Oft, I was right round there and there was two guys outside. I goes to, one of them's went inside and I said to one standing outside, is blah 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 working and he says, who wants to know? I tell him it's me that wants to know. Oh, oh shit. He goes and gets the guy who turns out to be this complete stranger just with the same name. <laughs> <laughs> I debriefed him on the situation and we had a good laugh agreeing that that could have ended up much, much worse. <laughs> so off I trotted home, still full of hatred. I got in just about an hour ago and just sat and wrote the story of the day. I sent out a few messages to trusted sources to find more info. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Fuck. Cliffhanger. Does he make a dot, dot? Dup, 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 da, da, da. Can I play EastEnders? <laughs> exactly, that's <laughs> Friday 9th of April. I had sent out a few texts last night trying to get Mayor Scoop on March Nemesis. 
I couldn't get a good sleep because my brain was whizzing with quasi-violent thoughts and bizarre means of retribution. I woke up to one of my best pals who knew this delivery guy phoning me. He knew exactly who it was and his first words were, what's this wee banger done now? Which would suggest that the guy is a known walloper. I've been given their address and it transpires that I'm really, really good friends with their landlord. The odds are in my favour. I reckon an ET's got some dirt on them for the hospital as she's whatsapping me. My pal that gave me the deets also says that I should contact such and such as they all know them and such and such are two of the most feared and respected folk in the hamlet of Pether. <laughs> Everything was every there. So I did. I phoned such first to the answer then tried the other such. The big man's aghast when I explained what's went down. He was saying he would pick me up there and then, but insisted that it was something that I should try and sort out myself first, because I'd rather the guy just apologised, and then we could all leave it be. I didn't think it was very me to be turning up team heavy. <laughs> Especially with him, I kindly told him. My big mucker just stayed around the corner, so he told me to pop in and see him if I did go down. I was getting prepared to go down and confront this guy slash girl slash whoever answered the door. All sorts of scenarios of what might happen were raving around my dish. Was I going to get stabbed? Was he going to get stabbed? <laughs> was there going to be a gangland feud that lasts decades and even our grandweeds will never resolve? <laughs> it was all go. I thought the best way to look hard... <laughs> was for me to put on some nice jeans and my new trainers that get delivered. <laughs> the Adidas ones for running. I could maybe break them in by kicking fuck at them. <laughs> Who knew what was going to happen here? For whose benefit, I'm not too sure, but I even put in some beard oil and a wee bit of moisturiser. About that life. <laughs> I set off in the warpath. Looking the very well groomed, I must say. <laughs> a beautiful kicking. <laughs> the moustache was well twirled, which would disarm the baddies with a bit of unrivalled hipsterism for Pether to make way for my unfeigned anger. Again, I had own rage against the machine as I was crossing the border into lands that I did not belong. I knew which street to go to, but still wasn't 100% on what it was actually going to do or say. Must have smoked about 10 fags. I walked around about the perimeter of the scheme, scouting for any possible dangers and any escape routes, should it turn into one of my more more violent fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> Deliberately entered the correct street for the other end so that I could stalk my prey from behind. <laughs> the house is getting closer and closer and my heart is beating really, really fast. Am I actually going to do this, or am I going to shite it like yesterday? No, I need to do it, for my woman's honour. I gave my moustache another twirl, and I opened the gate. A few steps up the driveway, and I get the fright of my fucking life. You are life. fucking nervous, man, I'm nervous. I know, I know, I know. Shit. Well, wait till you this. A few steps up the driveway, I get the fright of my fucking life, as the gate that I just opened gently and calmly closes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about the consequences of the gate. I composed myself and took a deep breath and chapped the door. It was a cheery wee knock, a playful little beat, again to lead them into a false sense of security. <laughs> At this moment, my heart was going like the clappers, ready to burst out my chest and back out the gate. It was like the strongest cocaine in the world. A horrible nausea. 
I was overcome with relief when Nadey answered the door, and I slunk back out the gate, prepared very well for it shutting gently behind me, but also feeling a bit para about folks seeing me or my enemies actually being aware of a moustached man with a penchant for blood, but secretly chuffed to be getting a painless getaway. With my heart starting to settle, I walked around to see such and such. They couldn't believe what I was telling them on one hand, but on the other they were saying that the two of them are well-known fannies. Crackheads, allegedly. One of my bodyguards is driving somewhere else to see a man about a dug or a drug. He's adamant that he drives me to the door again and he sits outside and watches. He knows the boy's car, but he says if it's not there then they'll no be in. It's a red Corsa and it's no there so we just assume that they're no in. My big mate dropped his aff at my bit and assured me that he was going to chin them for it. Hopefully we hear back about some sort of apology, but for the meantime I've done what I could and there's a good wee weight off my shoulders. It turns out the 80s mum knows the lasses, the lasses more, and all that really well. Words travelled fast and I'm pretty sure that they're going to get the message. E.T. was going to be in for work about half seven. She just told me to put the oven on and the southern fried tofu bites in. We're going to watch The Handsmaid's Tale or whatever it's called. Sounds like you should be watching The Expendables. <laughs> I told her I would. I was just going to get a quick couple of miles in to test my new gutties. This was a sort of half-truth as the real reason I was out of run was to go around the takeaway shops and see if I could spot a wee red corsa. A man possessed? That's that's a Friday, and then and then nothing else has happened since about that. <laughs> that that's that episode finished. Have you let it go, or, or, or is this still? Aye, but occasionally, well, I'm amped up, man. I'm ready to fucking do this. Where is this motherfucker? Let's <laughs> go get this London connects. I'll I'll carve them up real nice. So the the takeaway that I found out that he worked in on when I was coming back for work on Saturday night about midnight. That was the one that was open, so I went in and ordered a pizza and then I was asking if the guy was there and uh, they didn't it says that it didn't work there but it's saying if somebody else was looking for a guy with the same name that they've got they was got to do him in put a bounty out on this guy so after this I wouldn't be surprised if there's a fucking influx to, to wish and pay where people looking for this motherfucker's head I would we'll see I've uh, been careful not to name him I don't think it would be hard to piece together you know this motherfucker drives a Corsa he's got a bird he's a crackhead he stays in paver he stays in paver there's a long street because you ended up coming round the back way and it's got there a fucking go. gate <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Keen on the violence we'll call him I wouldn't be surprised if there's a uh, there's a lot of kind of maybe Hollywood scriptwriters come in after this wanting to make the movie. Guy Ritchie on the phone, snatch two. Jason Statham. Jason Statham is Jamie Keenan. Hey, what about you, Daron? You been in any fucking killing sprees? No killing sprees for me. I was just before we were on here um, reading about this European Super League causing quite the. Uh, it's everywhere. It's, it's it's all all that's been in the news for the last two days or something. Madness, eh? What's so bad about it? <laughs> What's so bad about it? Well, because it's just a, a greed. It's just all about money and it's greed, man. It's greed started by the poor, stolen by the rich. Is the kind of tagline. Well, that's what football is anyway. But I mean, it's, I think it's the fact that these these big time sales think these bureaucrats. Can... <laughs> Aye, these bureaucrats. <laughs> <laughs> Unelected bureaucrats. I think they can just swan away midweek and play their big international soccer and come back wreaking that cash. I think it's also the fact that the whole league system is like you finish, you know. Third, fourth, getting to Europe. Now that's just like aye, don't that, need Leicester can be at third and and Tottenham still. Be aye, aye, every, true. Every aye, aye. I guess that makes sense. What do you think about it, Ker? 
I've not followed the news since Philip, since Prince Philip, because I just I could not, I could not care any less. Too sad. Too sad. Too sad. You're mourning. <laughs> An absolute sin. <laughs> well, we have a, we have a, a minute of silence for him. I we should. I'll put a minute in here. <laughs> right. Very cool. Listen, listen to us wailing. Uh, so, uh, glad we're coming back. I would pay their specs. But um, I, I stopped after that. So so I kind of just came to news again today, Monday. And that yeah, was like that's all, all everything was going on about. And then I, initially, prior to kind of looking at me, when I first read it, I was like, oh, fuck, that's cool. One of the best teams. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's, nice. that's a great idea. What a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I'll be like watching the Champions League every week. That's my favourite. <laughs> Uh, but then obviously like think about it and then seeing all the comments and realising how wrong my initial reaction was aye, I'm like, oh, fuck that's terrible aye, that's what I kind of thought as well like what's surely that would be better so um, no, it that, doesn't seem to be happening they're, de- they're definitely um... it'd be an idea to get a few of the boys on the cast and talk about it because that's the only way it'll get stopped the power mm-hmm. of the cast the president of UEFA <laughs> Klopp Get, no, well, we need to get Klopp on, Jürgen, get Jürgen on himself. M- Marino, he's, he's out of job, maybe mm-hmm. he would want to come out. He can co host the cast. Ah, he's got enough, enough time. Having Gary Neville and uh, and some of the UEFA boys, and we'll just. Just chop it up. Once they get a bit of Jamie's <laughs> journal, so. Uh, and, and if not, you could you could, you could could march around to their gaff, Jamie, and give them the old fisticuff. Aye, the old one-two, <laughs> the Keenan one-two. <laughs> <laughs> so, eh. Uh, Aye, fuck man, that's that's was that that shit's been happening. Uh, also, by the time this cast out is out, there'll be a certain member of the cast. Care will be twenty four. <laughs> oh yes, stage is twenty four. He's coming back, <laughs> younger and fresher than ever. So please, please, when this cast goes out, um, make sure all gifts go to my PO box and not my home address because. It'll get a bit heavy on that day. I don't want to be opening gifts all day. Sore fingers. <laughs> Especially now I've got, uh, you know, the award season coming as well. I'll, True. It's just going to get too much. <laughs> so so thank you in advance for all the birthday wishes. Um, I can't get through them all, but I appreciate them. <laughs> right, so I think it's time we're going to speak to the one and only, Katie Dunstall. Here to see you. For your small business, if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Where are you guys? I'm in a Dundee travel lodge just now. Are you really? Why are you in Dundee travel lodge? Well, I'm fitting fridges into a supermarket. That's my wee job at the moment. Wow. So, I, it feels like I'm on tour a wee bit, except with this job, uh, at least we get our own room. Normally when we tour with the band, <laughs> we've got Ollie is in the, in the one travel lodge, so I've got my, my own wee room, which is nice. You're moving up in the world, man. <laughs> sure, your nose, like you nearly broke your nose today. A fridge or something fell on you. I had a, a terrible injury. Is that a fridge falling on your face? It's the big fridges for the supermarkets, but it's an electric box on the top fell off the top when I was pulling a bag off. Oh my god. It's cracked open my hard hat. Holy shit, that's really serious. It would have been really, really sore. That might have been sore in a slightly dead kind of way. Fuck, he's, he's melting it. Imagine that. Imagine like you've got through a global pandemic and you get killed by a fridge. See, when I started playing in the band, I started playing music and that when I was like 16. My mum and dad and that, they were worried that I was going to be like exposed to too much <laughs> chaos within that industry. And uh, <laughs> I've turned out all right, but now, now they're worried that I'm doing this construction job. Yeah, that is way more dangerous, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Where are you, Kerr? Where are you? I'm in uh, I'm in London. Oh, okay. I moved down here to be uh, my missus uh, because mm-hmm. she's doing a lot better than me. I was a mother yeah. and there was there was no chance of getting out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And where in London are you? So I'm in, uh, I'm in Barnes, which is very nice. Oh, very nice. Yeah, there's people round about me called, like, Nathaniel. Salvador. <laughs> Genuinely, somebody the other day, like, my neighbours, they're playing cello. <laughs> That's an actual thing that happens here. So I can up you, right? Because I take my dog to the park every day. And I went to the dog park two days ago, and there was a dude... I live in Topanga Canyon, which is quite weird and still, like, it's still very unhinged in Topanga County, like people have just gone up into the hills and just built a house without asking anyone and no one even knows it's there. There's a lot of that, right? Class. I go to the dog park and basically Gandalf's playing a fucking recorder. <laughs> and, all, and all the dogs are like, oh. <laughs> it's great. I love being here. It's made, uh... I used to live in Venice Beach. So I basically moved I left, I was in London for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. What made you move? What made you go away? I was in, I was in Scotland for years. I was in Scotland all through my 20s because I just did not want to live in London with no money. It was like, I knew how shit that would be. And it was just slightly easier to be in Edinburgh where I was at the time. I was in St. Andrews for a long time. And then I was in St. Andrews and then basically managed to get housing benefits and moved to Edinburgh. <laughs> that was like my step up to get to Edinburgh. Brilliant. And then um, and then I just, you know, there was no way I was going to get seen. Just no A&R people were coming to Scotland. It was all just boy indie bands. No offence, lads. But, you know, we just couldn't, I, could, I couldn't even get gigs in Edinburgh. Yeah. So I ended up like starting my own night to get gigs in Edinburgh. And then once a month, I would just save up enough money to get the bus to London. And my mate would offer me 
his couch, but I felt really bad sleeping on the couch because his, his flatmate, who was really cool, had a totally normal job, and she had to get up and put a suit on at seven in the morning and have her breakfast. And I was like, that's so pikey, like having someone sleeping on your couch when you're trying to get ready for work. And so I used to sleep behind the couch. I'd pull the couch out about three <laughs> feet and then just sleep behind the couch. And um, <laughs> and uh, and so I did that every month and I started playing an open mic night called the Cashmere Club, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. But it was a little rest, like a little pizza place under street level in Marlebone. And um, that's eventually where I got signed. How long were you playing there before that happened? So maybe maybe did about a year's worth of gigs going down there like a few times. I, I maybe went down and played seven or eight times before there was like a proper A&R person came came to and I actually had my I had my publishing deal by then a really amazing mentor of mine Bobby Heatley who runs Color Sound in Edinburgh had sort of he'd like noticed that I was really really trying and take it seri- taking it seriously and kind of recognized that I had some talent and so he he helped me do some demos and gave me rehearsal time which that was amazing having someone giving me free rehearsal time and a bit of help recording. I mean, that just changed everything. Just somebody that believed in you early doors sort of thing. Yeah, I, it's that. It's totally that Lady Gaga thing. There's a room and 99 people don't believe in you, but one does. And that one was Bobby Heatley from Colour Sound. <laughs> well done, Bobby. So he told me, get your publishing deal first. If you write your own stuff, like just it's going to be a nightmare trying to sign a record deal when you need money. Like, that's not a great situation to be in. So got my publishing, which I managed to get a manager. I got my own little tiny publishing offer first. And it was for it was for 12 grand for everything I'd ever written and everything I was ever going to write. And it was just absolutely shit. But it just sounded like so much money to me. Yeah. And I sort of made pals with this guy who was getting out of A&R and into management. And he took he took me on and said, look, just don't don't pay me for six months, no contract. But if I get you a deal that you want to sign, we'll we'll do a contract and you give me 20 percent. I was like, yeah, we're in. Let's do that. And so he he managed to get me a really good publishing deal with Sony in the end. And was that process quick? Oh, my God, it fucking took forever. I was losing <laughs> my blob. I was going absolutely nuts because I thought you just sign a record deal and then you have a record out. Like the following week, it was two years at, from getting my publishing deal to getting a record out. At any point in that, did you ever feel like, oh, fuck this, I'm jacking it? I think once I had the once I had the publishing deal, I I, I, I mind you though, I'm remembering because I moved to Harleston in northwest London. And I remember walking past the gardening, the garden center, and just going, "Maybe I could, maybe I could work there," <laughs> you know. And it really appealed to just go and do a job that I liked yeah. and not deal with this aspirational nightmare that I'd been caught in for a decade. You know, it was all through my twenties. Mm-hmm. And anyway, then I did, I did manage, I, I signed a very small record deal. I got like a 23 grand advance and it was a five album deal. And it was with uh, basically an underground Asian house label. <laughs> it's just so weird. It was Outkast who had Knit and Sony. They also had this label called Relentless, which is basically it was under it was under Virgin, but they got they basically just signed whatever they wanted. So I think they had Seth Lakeman. Oh, aye. 
It was just a, a really kind of nutso label boss, which I will, as much as we conflict, we had conflict, I'll always appreciate him because he was fucking mad. And <laughs> I was 29. But that's when you done your first deal at 29. First deal at 29. When I say there's not many people who would sign that, no one else offered. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there was an early offer from America that kind of went tits up, but it was a big kind of Columbia Records, and then Tommy Mottola got fired, and it all went down the toilet. But so so it was a wee deal, but it felt like the right one. They they'd been waiting for me for a year. They were just like, just come back and see us if you want to sign the deal. And I was like, Do you know what? You've not dropped it, even though I've been looking around. And so I went. It's funny as well because it's the best possible age. I would assume yeah to get something like that happen because you you know yourself as a person yeah you're not going to do it in daft i don't imagine well <laughs> you say that <laughs> <laughs> but i i think in many ways i was still an 18 year old kid i was like you know all i'd done at the end of, i'd gone to uni but i didn't really give a shit about uni i just wanted to play gigs and have an excuse to go to london mm-hmm. and um and I think in many ways, I just was so focused on trying to get somewhere as a musician. I actually didn't grow very much. So I was still really, really immature. I wasn't kind of, I wasn't a wise, well-read 29-year-old. I was just really fucking good at playing gigs. Uh, that was your thing. That was my thing. I'm like, you know, I'm just like, you know, a, one of these gymnasts, that's all they've done. And and then they kind of, you know, break their ankle and they're like, oh, shit, I can't do anything else. And I don't know how to operate in the world. But it was it was the situation where it kind of went from not to 60. A very weird experience where suddenly you've got, you know, it's the tour manager's job to make sure you are where you need to be. And yeah. so suddenly you're getting mm-hmm. chaperoned everywhere and you're never on your own. And... It was really, really weird. I mean, all of these things were amazing, right? But I remember feeling a depression when I signed my record deal because I really didn't want to sign to a label. I'd, I'd spent year. I was like, um, King Creosote was my, you know, my best pal and and really my major musical mentor. Brilliant. He's great. And he was kind of very anti establishment at the time like he ended up with domino but he went through years of really just shunning he just he just sold these cds in pubs and fife and all that didn't he exactly and and busked and 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 just made ends meet as a musician rather than uh you know trying to make a ton of money or get famous he certainly i mean he doesn't doesn't seem to want to be at all and I was definitely coming from that same school of thought. I didn't want to sign a record deal. I didn't, I wasn't interested in getting rich and famous. I just wanted to not have a job. And I think, you know, when you think about what new artists face now, you kind of almost have to go into it with that attitude because the likelihood of you getting fucking rich now is is so Hi. slim that to to just be able to make the living being a musician now is a, is it seems like a bit of a miracle to be honest jamie always says this as well it's like um you know what is making it so it really depends who you ask yeah it's it's about trying to find your peace with what that is yeah it's especially in this kind of day and age for a musician where i mean you've got to be really lucky yeah to be making 
coin off it. Like you have yeah, to go and work sure. your fucking fridges or yeah. And then and, and then nobody can ever question that's what you really believed in, that's what you really wanted to do. If you're still doing this at this age or whatever, then yeah. this was your thing. I always saw it as this my my parents met in a mountaineering club. How sweet is that? And my dad oh. was really into climbing and sort of always vicariously into the idea of climbing, although even though I never hardly ever did it. But I just imagined it as this really dangerous ridge top path that's just got, you know, a thousand foot drops on either side. And you're walking that path and you don't really know what the end destination is, but it's a total thrill being up there on that path, despite the risk. And all the time there's newer, younger, fitter, better looking people joining the path but i just always told myself you're more experienced you know the dangers you know how to do this you know what to be scared of and what not to be scared of because that's that's the stuff that you work out is like you think you've got to be scared of selling out right when you're young for example and i would just i wouldn't touch an advert with a fucking barge pole when i started i was like no no and i still they absolutely no oil companies, no car companies, unless they're electric. I'm just like, or, or and no banks. That's like my, mm-hmm. like, I, I won't do that. And, you know, you, you, you definitely pass up money when you've got a, a famous song with stuff mm-hmm. like that. But you've got to kind of make your decisions. So when you're young, that's what you think. And then getting older, you're like, shit, because what you really want and when you're talking about making it, my idea, I think, I think the idea of making it will always keep evolving and keep changing. And a really dangerous thing for a musician is not checking in with yourself and asking yourself if that definition has changed for you, where you are in your life. Because making it when I was starting out was having a tour bus. Yeah. And, and having people selling, you know, buying tickets and selling out shows. That's, my God, that's making it you know, for sure, always as a musician. I've a good wee song I've been listening to. Do you know the song Satisfied Mind? Who's that by? So Johnny Cash done it, um, Jeff Buckley done it. The first time I heard it was it was The Birds. Oh, wow. It must be like an old 50s song or something. I think so. The lyrics in it is like, uh, money can't buy back your youth when you're old, a friend when you're lonely, or a heart that's grown cold. The wealthiest man is a pauper at times. Compared to the man with a satisfied mind. Oh, never a truer word said. It's amazing. I I, I just love that. Fantastic. You know, and as I've got older, you'd be surprised how bad my business is in terms of what, (laughs) in terms of what I make. If you take the royalties out, I'm not, I'm not making a great living compared to friends of mine who are just been, you know, working as a headhunter or an insurance at the garden center yeah exactly but it's not to say it's not worth it and i would still do it for sure but if, if i'm speaking to young artists now i'm just like don't be a dick about the money like don't be scared of the money don't ever like i i was definitely guilty of this don't be ashamed of making money and don't be ashamed of going for things that are it's gonna put money in the bank and really for me now making it is being able to not need another job while you're actually making what you want. 
I also think as well, you're starting out, you're just so happy if anybody pays fucking attention to you. I know, right? So you're you're instantly almost like at a losing point before you start because like, oh, I'll do anything for that. Absolutely. You know? And you've been, I've been trying for 10 years to, to get there, you know, and suddenly it happened. And, and quite frankly, I just got pissed for 10 years. It was just a kid having fun, you know, and then... Well, it was, I mean, I've been, that was like 15 years ago, I got the deal and it was probably coming on into like the first five years were just mental and wild and amazing. And, and then I realized things were not quite right. And not only was I just hemorrhaging money because things weren't being managed that well, but also like when I think about the fact that I took two backing singers to Japan, <laughs> what was I doing? You idiot. <laughs> oh my God. It's just like fucking thousands and thousands of pounds. It was just crazy. And we take our backing singers to Bathgate. <laughs> Leave them at home. So you, you live in London. Your album's out, living in London. Why did you then go to America? Why, what was the difference in going there? What you're spoon-fed from America is just bananas. It's like, what, who are these people? What life are they living? It's very, very two-dimensional, the way that it presents itself to the world. It's just like, welcome to America! You know, and <laughs> there's definitely that. But... It's a massive, massive country. Like I kind of got to grips with it when I started touring here because the record, the first record broke here a year later in 2005. And I was just on a bus for like 18 months. Just, yeah, you know, the, I mean, the, the tour in the UK is three weeks, you know? Hi. And like over here, it's like the fourth rail bridge. You just stop, finish painting it and start again. It's just yeah. like, it's so massive. And it's really, really different all over. There's there's huge cultural contrasts. What, from state to state? Yeah. There's a common ground as a British person experiencing it, which is quite weird. And it's just all, apart from the Native American side of it, it's all really young. So it kind of, it lacks that visual history of a place a lot of the time and it all looks very kind of homogenized and everything looks the same and to the point where you kind of forget where you are sometimes because it just looks exactly the same as the last place you were at you know but the but I'm a nature freak and the landscapes of America I could I could happily just travel in this country for the rest of my life it's so beautiful mm -hmm. there's incredible parts of it and the reason I really like it here is it is friendlier I noticed that in, like in London it's horrible. Oh my God, it's horrible. Why the fuck does nobody <laughs> say hello? What the fuck is, that's so rude. It's really bad, right? I came up with this theory that every city has got like a kind of a personification. You know, it's like I anthropomorphize each city I go to. And, and New York is like an 18 year old lead guitarist in a band that's just got signed. <laughs> it's like, yes and you just want to stay up all night and drink and take drugs and go mental and you know and just talk to anyone and meet other amazing people and i always thought london is like a really really highly strung 36 year old woman in a business suit who's just hates her job and is just doing everything that she should be doing you know and i, I laugh when i go to new york because it's like it's like people 
when they emigrated from the UK to New York, they're just all kind of on the boat, you know, they've all got scurvy and, and they're all, they're just like on the boat for weeks and weeks and they just make a pact. They're like, when we get there, should we just say how we feel? <laughs> and so when people ask me what London's like, I'm like, it's like New York, but everyone's just keeping everything inside. How would you describe Dundee? <laughs> Dundee. Watch a behind-the-scenes video of The View. That's it. Do you feel at home in the States now then? I do, yeah. I've got I've got a pretty long history with with uh, America in that my dad was a physicist and he got a he got a sabbatical to UCLA here in California when I was four. So all all my very first memories are California. So I think it's sort of imprints on your brain, you know. And then I came and did my last year of secondary school. I got a scholarship because I finished school at 17 because I didn't want to do six year. Um, and I so got my hires and I got in and I deferred for a year for uni. And I went over to, I got a scholarship to school in Connecticut. Um, and it was super posh. I'm not quite sure how it happened, but it like had an indoor ice hockey rink, Oof. like a photography lab and shit like that. And it was, but it was a, <laughs> It was amazing and it was where I had my first band and it's where I first like properly started seeing gigs and going mm -hmm. to concerts and and I it's when I kind of really started listening to a lot of different music as well was at that time. Mm -hmm. And then I came back like what I noticed was because I'd started busking in in London and mo Scotland first. Dundee was my worst ever day of busking actually i went busking and it was raining and i don't there was a, there used to be that footbridge to the leisure center yeah yeah Remember? i know what i say and so because it was pissing with rain i decided to busk in there i didn't make any money and i got moved on by the police <laughs> <laughs> playing open mic nights and playing in america was was really exciting um and it's really good weather all the time. So you're outside in the summer and just, you know, it's just guaranteed good vibes. And um, so I kind of would save up and when I, I went to uni in London, but I'd save up and go back to America in the summers um, when I could. And so I've, I've always felt um, an affinity. And a lot of people without knowing where I'm from think that I'm American because of my style of music. I think it's very influenced by you know, 60, 60s singer-songwriters and that kind of thing. Who, who's some of your favourites? Chronologically, Blue by Joni Mitchell was the first kind of American singer-songwriter female artist that I listened to. Cool. And then I just I just got obsessed with West Coast Rock, listening to Fleetwood Mac and Tom Petty and Neil Young. and The good stuff. But yeah, just staple genius work, you know. Have you came across any of these guys now in your travels? Well, I did manage to have dinner with Stevie Nicks, <laughs> which was amazing. That's nuts. What, what did you have? <laughs> I can't remember. I cannot remember what the food was. I was just staring at her, you know, just like, oh my God. And she said, I said, how do you handle it? How do you, how do you handle being Stevie Nicks? Is it not just, does it get overwhelming? And she was just, and she's tiny. She's like five foot tall. And she, she said, I've just realized that I can choose if I want to be Stevie Nicks or not. If I walk down a corridor, if I just look at my feet and don't put it out there, no one notices I'm there. And if I put my head up and, hey. and just think to myself, I'm fucking Stevie Nicks, everybody sees it and reacts. It's just, it's, it's like a kind of magic trick in a way. 
yeah she she was amazing to hang out with and um I, I one of the weirdest things I did in lockdown, which was absolutely brilliant, was I did a writing session with Richie Sambora. Fucking hell. I know. Brilliant. And, and and we wrote five songs in two days and they're really, really good. And like Zoom or No, I went and saw him. So I got a got a test and he trusted it and I went down and hung out. And so I mean L LA is amazing like that, that you just have these really bizarre everyone's very open to kind of meet up like when i first got here i re that was another reason i like it it's like if you meet someone in a coffee shop they're like oh you should you should write a song for my movie here's my number come over to the studio and it, and does it, and it actually <laughs> happens and it happens it's like let's have lunch and then you have lunch i've just found myself at one point sitting having lunch with frida pinto and i was like yeah. how the fuck did this happen and we probably would never have done it if we're in london you know because it just seemed really intense where it's, it's just there's a there, there's a much more relaxed attitude to just hanging out. I think it's because the way that work comes out in, in particularly in LA is a lot more informal. Right. There's it, it's it's interesting in America that they've got that phrase let's hang out. And we don't say that. <laughs> like there has to be a reason why we yeah, get together yeah. in Britain. It's like, well, well, let's have a coffee or let's have a drink. You know, it's not like let's spend time together let's do nothing uh, yeah. let's just be together and so i i really love that about here as well that you meet all sorts of really interesting people all the time but mostly i like the weather and i like the fact that i'm living in topanga canyon and i'm I'm in the kind of in the white in the wilderness but i'm 20 minutes from sunset boulevard obviously then but but it sounds like lockdown has been quite good for for writing then god it's been interesting, hasn't it? Um, I was, let me walk you through my lockdown. So when it first happened, I was having really unexpected anger about this attitude, just general public attitude that because we're all in lockdown, musicians should get on their phones and laptops and just keep everyone entertained. It really fucked me off. And it really shone a light for me on how little value. How dispensable we are. Entertainers now for fuck all. I'm in lockdown, you fucking play for me. That's my job, <laughs> you know? That's my job. I'll fit fridges for you. Exactly, you? I'd be happy to come and fit your fridge with a mask on if you, and you pay me for it. Yeah. But it just, and and and, and it's hard to kind of, get it across without some fucker just going, oh, you're all right, you've got your royalties. It's just like, yeah, that's not, <laughs> like, that's not the point. The point is I was a new artist at one point and it, and it had started pissing me off when, when I don't know if you guys were even born when this was happening, but like, you know, there, you would start giving away like a free CD with the, with a magazine or, a free song here and a free song there. And then it turned into free downloads. And then it turned into every time you make a record, you've got to have five free downloads for all the different mm -hmm. people. And then I'm noticing all these really successful artists are giving all this shit away for nothing. And what that's doing is making people expect to get shit for nothing. Yeah. 
Right. And then that's putting new artists in a completely impossible situation mm-hmm. where music listeners are going, I don't even know who you are. Why should I pay for your stuff? Do I get Drake tracks free? And so it never sat well with me giving stuff away for nothing with music. It's just like you wouldn't go in a fucking cinema and expect to just walk in and not buy a ticket. You wouldn't go in a bookshop and just nick a book. That's like the start of this, the films there. You wouldn't expect the... You wouldn't steal a baby. You wouldn't steal a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I, and, I, and, I, and I was like signed before, just before all of this stuff kicked in. And I watched all of the heads of the record labels and the publishers do fuck all mm-hmm. to protect artists from this. Everyone knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. And they did not do anything to protect music and they're all still making loads of money they're just not sharing the streaming fees so you you start off you're pissed off yeah so that so i was kind of angry so i didn't want to and i and also don't want to sit and play to a phone it doesn't excite me and it sounds crap and it just lowers the 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 quality of of music being out there and so instead of that i decided to do I was like, what do I want to do? What 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 do I want to do that'll keep me sane? And I just wanted to dance. I just wanted to Brilliant. dance. I just wanted to have raves. I wanted to dance to 90s techno. And so I I got online <laughs> and started doing daily raves with <laughs> with fans. Oh class. And then I started a Patreon and we've got our own Instagram. And I ended up doing like nearly 70 daily raves through lockdown that's nuts (laughs) it was every weekday for months but then instagram started massively cracking down on playing other people's music and they just cut your live stream um but it was really good fun and it really kind of created a community and i enjoyed it and we were just chatting and raving (laughs) so it was just called katie rave i love that yeah it was great i just got to play like loads of left field and technotronic and shit (laughs) it was really good and um then also got this call i'd started working on a musical um a couple of years ago and it had kind of stopped because they changed the writer and it all of a sudden like sparked back up again and so from october until kind of now uh i've been writing a song a week for six months. That's the, the kind of drill you've set yourself or that's what's expected? That's what we've committed to doing because we had a read through with a full cast and we were sort of set these dates and it's been really, really intense and there's no fucking way I would have been able to do this if I wasn't sitting at home not doing anything else. Nice. Um, but I love it. And actually, um, when I think about what is really popular out there in terms of music, my my skill set is actually more suited to musicals right now than it is to what's getting played on the radio because I'm all about melody and chord changes and storytelling. What's some of your favourite musicals? Do you know what my maybe my favourite is? Is Bugsy Malone? We could have been in it. We could have been in it that we wanted to be. It's amazing. So that one with the, the wee kid with the broom, he's going, tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. It's a resting place for bums. It's so good. <laughs> but I like, um, 
I, I was not a fan of musicals growing up. I thought I, I find them kind of excruciating. And I was an 80s kid as well. So it was a lot of that like full till Andrew Lloyd Webber kind of cats. Yeah, and yeah. Starlight Express and stuff like that. And uh, uh, But I saw Book of Mormon amazing. a few years ago and it Fucking blew amazing. my noggin off. I couldn't believe it. It was just I I I did not think I was I was gonna be really really shocked by a musical and I could not believe what I was hearing. Can you give any details of what the musical you're writing about is now? I, I haven't got the green light to say completely, but it's about um, drugs. <laughs> right. It's a comedy, uh, and it's um, it it's great. It's great. It's it's not about hard drugs. It's about so it's about soft drugs, and it's um, very very funny, and it's an adaptation of a film. But I I haven't been I haven't been told I'm allowed to talk about it yet. But but I do a lot of work for charity. <laughs> <laughs> Can't talk about it. Don't like to talk about it. So so that's been so it's been musical writing for the full lockdown then. Yeah, and and I'm really glad that that's taken up time because I am due a record out because I'm making a trilogy at the moment. I'm on the third part. Of, yeah, trilogy. so I started in 2016, Oof. and that was what uh, Kin was the first one. So it's soul body, soul body and mind, and the Three first staples. one Kin was with Tony Hoffer, who uh, worked with Fratelli's on that new album actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, second, so that was the soul record. And then it's not soul music. It was about sort of your spirit. And then the second record was Wax. And that was with Nick McCarthy. That's the, the ex Franz Ferdinand boy. Exactly. Yeah, it was amazing doing that one. And that was the physical kind of body record. And I've been working on the mind one. And it was so crazy because the, the soul one will finally answer your first question, which is how I got here, which was that 2012, my dad passed away. And I just had this really crazy kind of wake up call where a, a friend of mine said to me, your parents give birth to you twice, once when you're born and once when they die. And it was such a powerful way of thinking about it because, you know, your behavior is so affected by your parents, you know, in your life. Mm -hmm. Whether you're trying to get their approval or you're rebelling against yeah. them, you know, they, yeah. they play such a huge part in your decisions. And when a parent dies, it's just like, holy shit, I don't need to do anything for that person anymore. I don't need to, I can't please them and I can't piss them off anymore. It's not there. And so it, it and my dad and my, when my dad passed, we were in a great place. There was, it was, a, it was kind of the best way I can imagine losing a parent of just kind of celebrating him and he was ready to go, you know? Was he still living in America? They were, they were both, my mum and dad were both in the UK, but it was really nice because my dad had Parkinson's and not long before he died, he came, him and my mum came on the tour bus for the first time and they came on tour Class. and we went from Vancouver all the way down to LA and it was just magic. We had such a good time. So I'm so glad I did that with them. But yeah, when, when he died, I was just like, oh shit, I am really not happy. I'm married to the wrong person. I basically felt like I was just living the wrong life. I'd accidentally ended up living the wrong life. And it was just like, a, I remember 
like doing what we do, there's just these really ingrained, cliched ideas about about how this shit progresses, right? You're you're in a band, you do well, you're in a van, you do your gigs, you do better, you buy a house, you get nice shoes, you get a car, you have a platinum record, you mingle with famous people, you play arenas, you do this, you do that, you do that, and then you're happy and then you die, right? And I got to like the arena. <laughs> Uh, and I and I remember really clearly getting offered an arena tour and saying no, and it's one of my biggest regrets actually. But I just, I just at the time, I I said that it was because it just didn't feel like me doing those kinds of venues. I'd prefer to do multiple nights in clubs and like music venues. But actually, it was because I was fucking terrified. I was so scared of not being able to deliver. And I'd love to do it now. I'd love to have that opportunity to play a big place like that. Um, and that, so now, now I really enjoy playing, opening up for for acts. It's also just a total masterclass, you know. Me too. Like I did did a summer with Simple Minds and the Pretenders. Yeah. I, I, I'm just about to go on tour. Hopefully, fingers crossed with Hall and Oates. Oh, class. Um, out here in America. I was going to do that. I've got Rick Astley dates in in the uk later this year and and it's just amazing because you just really learn from these these artists how how to do it you know plus there's absolutely no pressure yeah exactly is there a certain country like uh, outside the uk and america that just for whatever reason you seem to be more popular in than other ones well japan and also uh brazil south america brazil south i remember actually Alex Kapranos saying to me, like, fucking buckle your seatbelt for South America. It's absolutely incredible. And I was having great gigs, you know, selling out everything, fucking 6,000, 7,000 people. And then I got to South America and it was, I think I was playing to like quite big, like three or 4,000 people. They are nuts, like so passionate and absolutely no inhibition whatsoever and so it's like you can feel how much love is in the room for you and it's just like it's i mean it's like drugs you're just like when are we when are we going back to brazil because that was just amazing and the other thing that's really amazing for me in in south america is all my fans are like 10 years younger than they are everywhere else so my fans are usually sort of between 30 like 60 to 70 like those older rock fans that really like my stuff but i don't really have that younger demographic if i if they're younger it's usually because they're the kids of fans who've grown up with the record but in i went to south america just before the lockdown and it was just like oh like fucking 25 and i was just like this is amazing and it's so invigorating for me as well to because I do not feel my age. And so it's really, my booking agent's always going to me, Katie, you've got to play sit down gigs. Your fans want a seat, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm standing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was meant to, I'm meant to be making this, this, this new record. And so the first album, all of that shit happened. And that was when I decided to just pack up shop and move and start again and like move to California and kind of, restart my life i thought i might not make records for a while actually but i may i ended up making one within a couple of years and the second record about the body i fucking went deaf 
I lost my left hearing. I actually went there. 100% no hearing in my left ear now. This is this is useless. There's nothing. You could have my headphones because the left one doesn't work. Yeah, send them to me. <laughs> so that was mental. Yeah, I just watched that Riz Ahmed movie, Sound, Sound of Metal, and I was just like, oh, it's a little close to the bone, man. Because that that's exactly what happened to me where I went for an, a hearing test when it, had, it was overnight on the tour bus and I woke up and I, and I wear earplugs on the bus. And I just took that earplug out and it was no different. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I went for a test and, um, you know, it was the person saying words. Oh, and it just, it sounded worst. like, it sounded like Homer Simpson on a phone call. It was just like, it was like really electronic sounding. And he's like saying, broom. And I'm going, hair. Like, I had no idea. And then within a couple of days, there was just nothing left at all. And I think if I'd been younger, that would have really fucked me up. But because I've got 15 years of touring under my belt, I was just like, I've got my legs. I've got my eyes. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got my heart. Got my bones. Got my liver. Got my soul. And, uh, you know, I was, I was definitely... There was a lot of grief and a lot of loss about it because when it first happened, I couldn't hear any bass. I was just like, oh my God, I'm never gonna be able to listen to John Hopkins again. That was like, I remember thinking that was like, you know, I, I, being at a festival and dancing is one of my favorite things in the world. And I was just like, it's, the world sounds like an iPhone. And then I lost my balance for six weeks, which sucked. Is it just instant you lose your balance? No, it was about three days after the hearing started breaking down. And I was really lucky because I did a couple of gigs after I'd lost my hearing because I was on wedges for the gig. It was just me and Kat Myers, the amazing drummer. We were just doing like a two-piece tour. And uh, I, it was just too crazy not having in-ears. So I, I used in-ears and we just turned the left one off. Mm. And... There were fans who's, who've been seeing me for 10 years and they said it was their favorite gig. And I was just like, I was in trauma doing that show. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really glad I did those two shows before I lost my balance because I was just like, I can do it. I know I can do it. I know I can sing, keep pitch, perform and do everything I did before without an ear. I know I can do it. So that I held on to that for sure. Are you any more cautious now on your good ear? Yeah, I have to be. I've got to be really careful. That would be just, that would be a nightmare losing the, and it's funny because my, my little brother was born completely deaf. So we've got it in the family. Like we've grown up, he's got cochlear implants, the same as Riz Ahmed gets in the movie. And, um, but you know, he could never hear before he was born without hearing. But I remember like telling him, I was like, you're not going to believe it, Dan, but I've, I've gone deaf. And he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he says, yeah, one, you've still got the other one. <laughs> and actually it's really not ended up really being a problem at all. Yeah. You don't seem too fast. No, in many ways, I'm just like, 
it's such a great excuse to not do things I don't want to do. It's just like, oh no, background noise is a real problem. Sorry, I can't <laughs> come for your shitty dinner party. Sorry. Do you know uh, the percussionist Katie uh, Evelyn Glennie? Yeah, of course. I mean, she's like, she's a miracle. I mean, uh-huh. just feeling it through her body. It's, it's hard to believe that, that she's able to do that. It's incredible. Hi. But yeah, I've been told to not go scuba diving which I can handle. And then the third record then will be... So the third record, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, like, what the fuck is going to happen on the mind record if on the body record I go deaf and then the entire planet goes into mental shutdown where everybody is just living in their head, you know, and me included. So what what a what an experience and it's amazing that you can kind of time block them to each record you know like time stamp them this happened it's, yeah that's what records should be as well there should yeah. be moments in, in time you know and i was thinking a lot about i mean i love films love 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 films and i was thinking about you know this great advent of episodical tv kind of having a huge resurgence and and people being able invested in eight eight series you know of a, of a tv show and it's like people want people want depth and meaning yes they might be into a kind of sugar hit pop song and only want to buy one song from this artist but it doesn't mean people aren't interested in albums anymore just because they like buying one song yeah i, I yeah. i'm i still want an album everyone i know still wants to buy an album and and everyone I know is investing a huge amount of time in 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 really detailed long TV programs. Yeah, because it's probably and, went the other way now. Where everything is so dispensable, when everything is so yeah, instant that you yeah. kind of need it needs to go like that now. Yeah, for sure. And so this has been such a such a cool experiment for me to make three albums that feel connected. And so the momentum of the project, because I don't. I don't know, you know, you just get this mad dip between records where you'll make an album that's like, right, finish touring, right, have a wee break. And then you're like, oh, I've got to get it going again again and start. And so I've avoided that for the last like five years where I've been just kind of rolling. And as soon as this is done, I'm just like starting to think about the next one. And and then after after we finish the trilogy, there's there's a few things i'm really looking forward to doing but a big one is that it's not long before it's going to be the 20th anniversary of my first record that that was how i wanted to round the combo but that's fucking not i've i i have people coming up to me at my gigs and they're like hot young people coming up and just going i've been listening to you my whole life i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> you're a fucking Hi. person what do you mean <laughs> Katie, I remember me and my dad uh, watching, we used to watch Jules Holland every Friday. The famous one that you'd done. And then you came, and it, uh, was it Naz it was meant to be on? Exactly. And, and then watching you doing uh, Big Black Cross in the Cherry with it, because nobody had ever seen a loop pedal at the time. I know. Me and my dad's going, what, how is she? She's got drums and all that. She's got, how does she get drums? The funny thing about that night, right, was that, that they they did edit me down a little bit. Because it was on a loop, it meant that they could edit the song a little bit because it was a bit long so they mm-hmm. cut it down a wee bit but there's in black horse there's a breakdown where i'm going no 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 and then when the chorus comes back in i was meant to hit the button and for some reason 
I was wearing Skecher hiking boots. <laughs> it's just like, girl, you're on TV for the first time and you're wearing fucking Skecher hiking boots. But they... It was homage to your dad, the mountaineer. Yeah, they were... But they had massive treads and the and the button for the for the pedal went in between the treads and I missed it <laughs> so when I came back in with the chorus the pedal didn't turn back on again and I was like Ugh! I thought sketches were these skate shoes so like when you you hit the button you just started skating around the fucking stage <laughs> there's like little lights flashing on the yeah. side of <laughs> and so anyway I ended up coming in like you know two bars or four bars later and Anita Baker was I mean it was an amazing show because it was Anita Baker Jackson Brown and The Cure and The Future Heads and Embrace I think were all on that show and uh, and the drummer for Anita Baker who was this amazing black guy I can't remember his name it was an amazing drummer he comes up he just goes Katie I loved what you did and he goes I was expecting the beat to come back for that course, but you waited. You waited for it. I like that. And I was like, uh, thanks very much. <laughs> but I'll do that again, shall I? But it was an amazing experience because it had been like 10 years of trying to get there. And then it did feel like it was overnight, you know? A question I love to ask you is, through your full time, full 20 years in the game, yeah, what's one we one wee nugget of advice you wish you could have you could say to yourself at, like at one pivotal moment in your career they would have changed something for the better <sighs> for you there's two things linked together that I do I wouldn't want to separate from one another but one would be have fucking high standards for the people around you because you've I've always had really high standards there's not a fucking lyric on a single album of mine that has been put on there because it fits. It's on there because it deserves to be there and I've worked on it. And I'm there every single fucking hour of the day making it with the producer, doing 15, 16, 17 hour days, making records. And then I'm out there from, you know, I've, just, I've worked really hard. And when I look back on it and also having some hindsight, um, I have not been assertive when it comes to the people I've worked with. And that's on the touring side and on the bands, on, on the business side. And particularly on the business side, because that's where it's really going to fuck you over. If people aren't doing what they're meant to be doing for you in the, in, in, behind the scenes, you know. Um, so really, like with, with, with Suddenly I See in Black Horse, I should have a, a more thriving business than I do have. Right. But it was because, and this is why I can't kind of extract this next point, which is I just did not behave responsibly as a business owner. Like I just, I was just a kid and I just wanted to have fun. And I didn't even really want to be the center of attention. I, right. I wanted to be one of the band and just like, and have a laugh and just have adventures and see the world. And I did all of that. So, so it's not a regret then? It's not a regret. It's just that I could have, I could have been um, much more diligent and therefore 
put myself in a position now where I had more financial freedom. Like I've just built a studio here at home and it's really nice and I moved house, but it's just like, fucking, is this gonna work? Do you know what I mean? I'm not like, oh, I can chuck a mill at this and a mill at that. It's like, I've still got aspirations to do stuff. And for example, build a really nice studio at home, but it's not, it that could have just been, just do it. You know, if I'd been a bit, if, it, if I'd been more, just more aware of if what was going on. If hadn't taken those backing singers to Japan. Exactly. If I hadn't taken those backing singers to Japan, I'd have an extra guitar amp right now. <laughs> um, but no, I don't, I don't really have, I can't say that I don't have regrets. I really regret saying no to that big arena tour. I wish I'd done it because I wish I'd been able to have that experience, but I'm having it now. You know, I played Madison Square Gardens with Hall & Oates just before a lockdown, you know? So I'm it's certainly not complaining about it, but I would say to new artists, um, try and run towards the fear of things. If it's scaring you, then it's a good sign that you should check it out. And, um, and don't judge shit from what other people have told you. Like really listen to your own guts and if it doesn't, if it feels like it's right for you, then go for it. Like there isn't, a, the, the wonderful thing about this job is there's no rules basically. So take advantage of it and be your own, be your own boss. And I wasn't really my own boss. I didn't really want to be a boss. And I wish I could go back and also have the kind of business nice to be a boss about it and make sure that everybody was working on their shit as hard as I was working on mine. and looking after, you know, taking care of business. But again, I think when you've tried so long to make something happen, 29 when it first pops off, yeah, you're just quite happy to be like, fuck, this is happening. Well, I'm very, very trusting. I'm quite a kind of naive, innocent person. I grew up in St. Andrews. I didn't even go to, didn't go to Dundee till I was like 15. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've always been sort of, a, a little bit overly trusting mm-hmm. uh, and not and I don't haven't questioned enough but you've got to be you've uh, just getting a bit being a little bit hardball and making sure that your your things are going the way that you want them to go because you're the only person who's really going to give a shit at the end of the day see when you were younger yeah was there something like I remember that like, my first band when I was in high school and all we'd done was like the Red Hot Chili Peppers covers we just wanted to be the chilies, was there? Yeah, totally. Like you were saying, Johnny Mitchell on, was there something like that when you started out that you were going, I want to be her? I can hear, when I listen back to really old demos, I can hear who I was listening to. I had a period of time where I was listening to 10,000 Maniacs all the time and there's like total Natalie mm-hmm. Merchant moments. And But actually, my first singing love was Ella Fitzgerald. Brilliant. And I kind of feel like that was my singing lessons that would just listen. It was just like, I couldn't believe the technical prowess of this voice, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like listening to, mm-hmm. to like Miles Davis playing trumpet, you know? The other thing I really like about Ella Fitzgerald is that she's not vibrato all the time. She sings it quite straight some of the time. And I'm not a big fan of loads of vibrato in a voice. And so I think that maybe makes me sound a bit different from other singers and that I almost never use it. And so there's certain singers that have really struck with me, like Eddie Reader, uh-huh. Annie Lennox, 
Um, Liz Fraser is probably my one of my favourite vocalists. Who's she? I don't, I don't know her. Liz Fraser is uh, was the lead singer of the Cocteau Twins, but is now... Oh, aye, sings, aye, 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 Yeah, aye. she sings on Mezzanine, on uh, Massive Attack, Teardrop. But then, I, I mean, I was... It, it's not... It, it's kind of genderless for me, because I was really wanting to sound like Jeff Buckley. I wanted to sound like Howling Wolf. I Howling wanted Wolf's to sound like Tom York, you know? Ooh. Yeah. I think that's the great thing about making original music, is that you're kind of like a juicer you know you just put all of this stuff in and then you get what comes out is informed by all of the stuff you love but you've just got to be careful that it's not overtaking your, your own your own thing and over obviously over time you refine it anyway and, and it becomes your thing definitely i mean that's that's i think the dream isn't it is is i remember really clearly when i I'd, I'd, I'd had success and Black Horse was a hit and we went to the supermarket and my little brother Daniel had had his cochlear implant operation and Black Horse comes on in a supermarket and he goes, is this you? <laughs> and I was just like, fucking hell, my deaf brother can, can recognize that that's my music. And I was just like, that's nuts. And I said, how do you know it's me? And he was like, I was like, yeah, basically, that's my music. That's total class. Kate, I get so much more of your time than I ever thought I would have been. Oh, it's been great. I loved it. Really great chatting to you. It was so fun. Thank you so much, man. You're so fucking nice. Oh, I'll finish with a real I'll finish with an amazing story pertaining to that, right? Which was when I was on tour with um Simple Minds and the Pretenders, like Chrissy Hind is my number one. I'm just like she's the goddess. And she's fucking terrifying. Like so scary. And I tried a few times to talk to her and I was just like, I just can't do it. It's just too scary. I mean she would be like talking. She would be talking about a film and I'd be like Oh, I love watching movies. And she'd go, oh, yeah, which ones? I'm like, oh, my God, anything you like. <laughs> and anyway, she started, but she started shouting me out every night from stage where she'd be going, Katie Tunstall's amazing. You've got to check her out. And I'm just like, what? Like, can't handle it. And then towards the end of the tour, she goes, You've got to check out Katie Tunstall if you didn't see her. She really inspires me. I was like, you fucking what? Chrissy Hyde. And so I went and spoke to her afterwards and I said, look, thank you so much for saying that, but I don't understand. Like, how? How am I inspiring you? And she just goes, I don't know. You're just so fucking friendly. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, right, so it's nothing to do with the music. It's just like, I'm not a bastard. <laughs> just shows you how rare it is. It is really funny when you meet people and they just assume you're an asshole and they're really, really surprised that you're not a dick. I like how much you swear. God, it's a relief. American people are a bit sensitive about the swearing, so I'll get them in while I can. Well, thank you so fucking much. You're an absolute legend. Huge pleasure. It's great to talk to you guys and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Bye.
big shouts to Katie Tunstall for talking to us there. That was an absolute delight, a pleasure. So thank you, Kate, for donating so much of your time to just a, a couple of lads from the Shire. But as always, if you're just coming out to cast, thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends and family about it. Maybe get a lot of American listeners now as well. As we say in the UK, um, hello, America. Hello. <laughs> hello, you stars and stripes. How y'all doing? How are you dandy dans doing? Howdy. Pancakes and syrup, am I right? Waffles. Peanut barley and jelly, am I right? <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> How about that new Randy Newman song? <laughs> Randy Newman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, catch you guys out in the Wild West. Thank you for, for just checking out the cast. Please like, subscribe. And uh, what's that Patreon address, that's for those who, who would love for, to for the, for the Patriots, the American Patriots. The Americans. It's just the same as everyone else. It's <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com forward slash the LaFontaines. Do what's best for your country. Those stars and stripes. We've actually got a, qu- a question. A question from the Patreon, Jimmy, for... Uh, for you, that's from Beth Beth Wallace. Any tips for anyone trying to get into to writing? I don't know. I just things need to happen, but other times nothing happens, uh, and then that's good as well. Trying to, I don't know, trying to wax lyrical about about nothing. Nothing. I think what you're trying to say there, Jamie, is never be scared of the page. Am I right? Aye. Uh, I don't know. Just you need to do it. I don't. I wouldn't say I was. I was in a position to give writers tips. No, neither would we. Um. <laughs> fighting tips, on the other hand, though. Aye, fighting tips. If, you, if you're wanting some fighting tips, then I would order a white chocolate sundae and a bag of rhubarb and custards. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think, uh, well, people that have spoke to me about it said that, that I'm good at observing things, but I don't think that I'm good at observing. I know what they mean, but I don't, I wouldn't. I don't know. I think I just maybe I'd notice things that other people wouldn't yeah, and I, I know I know about I know probably the best part of ten big words and I try and use them go. as much as I can that's some good advice right as we see on the cast uh, the special three L's or <laughs> the special three words live laugh love live laugh love um, and learn and learn, and learn. Uh, for me it's a, a very special piece from Dan what are you saying uh, unity and Jamie how about you Love. No, no, no. Uh, hatred. hatred. Hatred this week. Hatred, hatred, for, hatred. For, the, for, for my, my... Just this week. Just this once. Kidding on. Love, 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 love. Love, love, love. And uh, a very special good night, V. Inetta. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.